We are entering into our series, last week was kind of a preface for it, but entering into our series on the seven deadly sins. And the first one we're going to focus on is pride. And when, I, when I'm thinking through a sermon, I, I have stories and illustrations, movies that come into my mind. And when I was thinking about pride, uh, and since I'm a father of four and I've only seen Disney and Pixar movies for the last 12 years, the movie that came most to my mind was the movie Cars. I think many of us have seen that movie Cars. You have Lightning McQueen, and uh, Lightning McQueen is the young racer. He's the hot shot. He's the, I mean, he's the new kid on the block, and he's, he's really good. And, and, and we see his race going on uh, through the race. He's, he's going along at the Piston Cup. That's how it starts off. And he's, he's uh, trying to find any way he can to get ahead of the other racers. And as they're all stopping for their pit stops to get gas and tires, he stops just to get gas. He doesn't get tires, much to the frustration of his, his crew. Uh, they're frustrated with him, and they're, they're angry with him. They said, you need tires. You can't go on without tires, but he doesn't care. He doesn't listen to anybody. He keeps racing on and racing on, and even uh, befuddling and mystifying the racing experts. That How is this guy able to do this and not get tires? He must know something we don't. He's able to get ahead, and, and he's on the last turn of the last lap. He says boastfully to himself, checkered flag, here I come. And as soon as he does that, tie, the tire bursts. And, and then everybody's in alert. They're telling the other two racers, which are Chick Hicks and the King, to catch up. He blew a tire. And as he's frantically trying now to get to the end of the race, he blows a second tire. And now he's trying to limp to the finish line. And he finally, the other racers catch up to him, and they all cross the line just at the same time. Now, if he would have listened to his, his crew and got tires when he needed it, he probably would have won fair and square, I mean, without having to deal with any of the other problems. But as he's in the, uh, the circle right at the end of the, the race, he's getting interviewed by the reporter Corey Turbowitz in Victory Lane. And she's talking to them as he's now putting on these tires. And she says, we're here in Victory Lane awaiting the, the race results. McQueen, that was quite a risky move, not taking tires. And he responds, tell me about it. She says, are you sorry you don't have a crew chief out there? And he says, ha, oh, Corey, there's a lot more to racing than just winning. I mean, taking the race by a full lap, where's the entertainment in that? No, no, no. I want to give the folks a little sizzle. Am I sorry that I don't have a crew chief? No, I'm not, because I'm a one-man show. And to his frustration, his crew says, Mr. One-Man Show, and they start, they say, we quit, Mr. One-Man Show, and they run off, and McQueen responds, okay, fine, leave, ha, how will I ever find anyone else who will know how to fill me up with gas? Adios, Chuck, and then the, the the crew shouts out, my name is not Chuck, and he says, whatever. And so it's this humorous way of, we're introduced really to this character, Lightning McQueen, and we see that he really doesn't have any friends. He has no friends. He's really in love with himself. And, and his issue is his pride. He's really in love with his own talent, his own ability. And because of that, he has alienated everyone around him. And we know it was his pride that thought, I can get by and do what no one else does, that led to his disastrous fall. And we've seen in the scriptures, especially in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction, destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. He was in love with himself. He was proud. Now, we're going to be really focusing on pride today. And as I was really thinking of of pride and what it is, I found myself a little frustrated. I was frustrated because, uh, for one, everyone that I looked at and read and studied, everyone said that pride was wrong and evil. But yet, there seems to be a good aspect of pride. Like, for example, my uh, seven-year-old son, Elijah, was in the car the other day, and he was so proud before he went to the soccer uh, outreach over here, he got in the car and he said, Daddy, I tied my shoes twice today. Well, I'm proud of my son. 
I'm proud. That's a good job, buddy. Or my daughter brings me something that she made in fashion. I'm proud in that. Is that a bad pride? I don't think so. I think God delights in that kind of pride. So as I was studying, I found that a lot of people didn't ever talk about the good side of pride. Everything was always evil. And if they did talk about pride as it being evil, they never defined it. They would describe it and say it was bad, but they would never tell you what it was, which was really frustrating to me. So I thought, where can I even look within and understand the good side of pride as well as the bad side of pride? How can I really define what this bad side of pride is? So I started looking at the scriptures, and we, we really uh, focused on, as a preaching team, uh, the biography of one man, and that's King Nebuchadnezzar. And we used him kind of as a, a, a template for understanding pride, because we believe that his fall led, was, was because of his pride. Now, if you're not familiar with Nebuchadnezzar, let me just set the stage for you before we get into our, uh, the points on our outline. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon who conquered Israel, conquered other, many land, I mean, other lands. He took Babylon and really made it a firm world power. This is a well-known, powerful, talented guy. And he is, he is over the kingdom of Babylon, of which Daniel, who is the author of this book, is a part of. He is a Jewish exile that was taken out of the land of Israel, taken into Babylon, and they recognized that he was a talented guy. He was very wise. He understood the Babylonian uh, culture, yet he was still Jewish. And he curried favor uh, with the Babylonians, working his way up to become a trusted advisor within um, with King Nebuchadnezzar's, not cabinet, but a, just a trusted advisor for him. And Nebuchadnezzar had, have, had had different dreams, and he has this dream that was so alarming and disturbing to him that he has to bring Daniel in because Daniel had shown himself to be a great interpreter of dreams. And this dream was alarming. He'd, he'd been sleeping, and he had a dream where there was a, a big, giant tree. I mean, this tree was massive, big, bigger than any redwood that California could boast. Matter of fact, it was so big that, it was, it was, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar said it was seen by everyone in the world. And it was beautiful. It had wonderful shade that all people could find shade in. Just like we had a service outside last week, it was fascinating to me that we had chairs in the shade. But then as more people showed up and we had to bring out more chairs, where did the chairs go? In the shade. And this guy had a lot of shade. And not only did he have so much shade that all the birds could come and all the beasts of the field would come and find comfort in the shade, that people could eat, everyone could eat of the fruit of this tree. But then an angel shows up and decrees that it should be cut down. So this tree is cut down. And then a man is then sent. He transitions from this picture of a tree to a man who is removed from all people. And he is forced to uh, be naked and, and lose his reasoning of a man and become like a beast. And his nails grow long and his hair grows long. And he's going to be in this state, uh, living outdoors just by himself and uh, until seven periods of time pass by, which is about seven years. And then he's, he's really wondering what this d- dream means, and Daniel hears it, and Daniel's like, oh no. Daniel understands exactly what the dream means. And he says, may this be for someone else, not for you, but this dream appears as for you. And he tells him, this dream is from God, and it's for you, that you've become proud, and God's going to cut you down. So I, I would encourage you now to humble yourself before God cuts you down. And he gives him some instructions on what he should do. But some time goes by. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't make those changes. And that's where our text picks up for today. So we start up in verse 28. But before we go into our, in, any further in our message time, let's ask God to bless our time together. 
Our Father and our God, Lord, we ask you to speak to us, to show us who we are by looking at Nebuchadnezzar. May we see how you worked within his life. May we be able to refrain from making the same mistakes that he did. And Lord, if we've made some of those mistakes, we've become proud in our heart. May you grant us a repentant spirit that we might turn from that and embrace you, the living Savior. So be in our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want us to look within our text as we see, we pick it up in verse 28. And all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29 of Daniel chapter 4. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And it goes forward into his judgment. I'm going to hold off there. And he is, he is in all of the things that Daniel had told him was going to happen happens to him. Now, as we think about what brought about this destruction, before we get into the aspects of this judgment and what it was, we need to get a working definition of pride. As I said before, pride has a good side and a bad side. Matter of fact, the scripture even talks about it. And we need to really get a definition of pride, to discern it, to understand what pride is. Because there is a good side of pride. It can be a noble and right feeling. And the Bible does speak about it. The Apostle Paul expresses a positive kind of pride when in speaking in confidence in, in the Christians of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 7.4 or of strength in the Lord in 2 Corinthians 12.5 and 9. Pride can be noble when we take pleasure in our efforts or our labors as Paul did. I mean, think about it. Remember that project you worked on? Remember that count you nailed? Remember that person that you helped? There was a sense of accomplishment that came over you. When you taught your child to do something and they learned it and they mastered it that time, did you feel a sense of accomplishment that occurs? And we all feel that. And that's not a bad thing. It's a, there's a sense of pride that comes over us. And it's the same pride, I believe, that God feels after he made the heavens and the earth. And he said that it was good. It was a sense of satisfaction, of accomplishment. That's the good side of it. But what we often hear about and what we're going to focus on today is that negative side of pride that the Bible often talks about. Pride is, and I mean, here's my definition, is a misdirected and misapplied love towards self instead of God and others. This is the negative side of pride. It is a misdirected and misapplied love towards self instead of God and others. Now, when we say misdirected and misapplied, here's what I mean by that. For example, um, patriotism is a form of pride. We can be proud of our nation. The Olympics just happened. And we're proud of those who are the athletes who com, uh, competed, Simone Bryles and Michael Phelps and uh, Katie Ledecky and how they competed and how they did well. And, and we're proud of that. But when our patriotism trumps our faith and our identity in Christ, then it becomes a bad thing. So that's when pride becomes an evil thing. It becomes not just a love of self, but it's a love of nation that trumps Christ. And anything that trumps our love of Christ, no matter what it is, then it becomes a bad thing. I mean, people have said that an idol is a good thing that becomes a God thing, and then it becomes a bad thing. It's a good thing that becomes a God thing, and it becomes a bad thing. And so patriotism is just one example of pride that is, is good to a point, but taken to its extreme is bad. When you're trying to shout down the other nations and say, we're all better than you, now that's a bad thing. But if you're saying, hey, we did well, we're proud of what you did, that's a good thing. 
So we have to understand how to work this pride out because it's not just a love. Uh, it's not a love for others as much as it is a love to elevate and establish oneself above others. As C.S. Lewis has noted, pride is competitive by nature. Like, for example, you might have a, a nice car, but it's not necessarily your car that you take pride in. It's having the nicer car than the person beside you. That's how it's a pride thing. That's where we, we, we have to understand that as we get into it and understand how the Bible talks about pride because this is, pride is known as the king of sins, the root of all sins, as the ancients often called it. And it leads to disgrace, it breeds quarrels, it goes before destruction, and, and brings humiliation. The Scripture has a great deal of ways to describe pride, but we're going to settle on that, def, that definition. It's a misdirected and misapplied love towards self, instead of God and others. But now, we, under, we have a definition of it, so let's see now where, does, where are the dimensions where pride is found. And this is where we're going to really jump into our text, by looking at the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And we need to see, we can see through him and, and gain a small list, not an exhaustive one, of where we might have pride in our own lives. First of all, let's look at verse 30. Is this not the great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power? He built up Babylon and had a, and a great and amazing house. See, he shows us that we can boast in our, in our power. First of all, it's his power. He did it. It was his ability that made himself the best. He was the, the best looking, the brightest, the most talented. We have a tendency to do that on ourselves, in our workplaces, with our spouses. We think we are the best. They need us. See, the reality is, is they don't. And we need to understand that. But we can take pride in that, in our power, in our ability, our authority. People report to me. This is the power that I wield and all the things that I have. Now, when I, when I think of power, I think of talent, I think of ability, I, I can't but help think of Michael Jordan. I, I grew up as a big Michael Jordan fan as a kid. I mean, I was huge Michael Jordan fan. To give you an idea, I had every square inch of all of my walls in my bedroom and my ceiling covered with Michael Jordan posters. It was a little disturbing. And I actually had scrapbooks that I had made. I cut out every article, every picture, any magazine I found with him on the cover, I cut it off. I even went so far to eat Wheaties to get his cover off that box. And Wheaties is disgusting. I mean, it's gross. And I, and I did that. I had Michael Jordan everywhere. And I wanted to be like Mike. I did. I wanted to jump like Mike. I wanted to stick my tongue out like Mike. I wanted to wear my pants like Mike. I wanted to talk like Mike. I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. I was the kid in the Gatorade ad. That's what I wanted to be. I mean, I wanted to be Michael Jordan. But then I started to grow up. And I, I mean, we won all the championships, and it was great. But then I started learning about who he was personally. And it really became, I, I became not a fan of Michael Jordan. He was an adulterer. He was a gambler. He was rude all the time. He, I mean, he was full of himself, so much so that when he would come and uh, sign a pseudonym in the hotel so people wouldn't know him, he would sign it Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God. That's crazy. I mean, he was full of himself. It was all about him. And it really came out in his Hall of Fame speech. You really saw who he was. And some people were astonished. But those who knew him well, they went, that's the guy that we know. It's just the media that presented a different image to everyone else. But he gets up there, and for 23 minutes, he bashes players. I mean, he bashed people. He said, thank him for stoking the fire, for getting me motivated, and I'm better than you, and I'm better than you. I mean, he went so far as to invite the guy that made the high school team before he did when he was a sophomore, soft, sophomore to the Hall of Fame induction to show that he was better than he was. 
That's just wrong. And, and Jerry Krause, who was the general manager uh, of the Bulls during uh, the, the, you know, the two three-peat eras, once made a comment that Michael took issue with, and it said that organizations win championship. And Michael cited that in his Hall of Fame speech. And he said, it wasn't an organization that was on the floor in game six when I had the flu. That was me. I did that. I did that. I did that. I did that. And it was all about him. And it really put a bad taste in my mouth. You've got to remember, I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. And I'll still argue that he's the best player to anyone else. But I see that there is a pride within him, and it was all about him. In his 23-minute speech, he gave six thank yous. David Robinson, in contrast, spoke for six minutes, and he gave 17 thank yous. He was all about other people, praising other people. See, Michael was about his own ability, how far I can achieve, what I would do. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. I'm the one who made Babylon this. If it wasn't for me, it wasn't this king. It wasn't my dad. It's not going to be my son. I've seen him. It's me. I built this place. I accomplished these things. I conquered those nations. It's about me. See, that's pride. That's what I want to do. That's, what, that's not what God wants. And because of that, God was getting ready to cut him down. I don't know if you've ever heard that song by Johnny Cash. It's a great song. God's going to cut you down. God's going to cut you down. It's true. He's going to cut you down. He was in love with his own power. That's where he found his pride. But not just that. Look at verse 30. Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence. Remember, he's walking around his castle looking at this. I got the best place. I got the best king. I'm the best king. It's in his possessions and what he had. See, that's the first thing. We see power. And then we see possessions. We can take pride in our possessions. I remember learning this early on when I was a kid. Uh, Because remember, as I said before, pride by its nature is competitive. It's not what you have. It's something better than someone else has. That's where pride kicks in. That's what we do. I learned this, my first real lesson of pride. I was in fifth grade, and we were at the, the log roll. And I was in fifth grade, and I, and I just got new shoes. And we weren't a really wealthy family at all. And I got my brand-new Pro Wings, which were from Walmart. We shopped at Walmart. I mean, that was what we did. We didn't have a lot of money. We went to Walmart. But I got brand-new shoes. And I was excited that I had brand-new shoes because that's at the age where, you, you know, your shoes make you faster. And I'm, I'm checking out my Pro Wings. I'm like, look at my Pro Wings. And then my friend comes up, and he goes, Pro Wings are cheap. And he comes down and slams his foot down. He goes, you need Nikes. And suddenly, my Pro Wings weren't good enough anymore. Even though they were brand new, just a moment ago, they were great. I was delighting in them because someone came along with something that seemed to be better. Now they weren't good enough. See, that's how we are with our possessions all the time. Our cars, our houses, we see what other people have all the time. We're always comparing with one another. We're being proud, and that gets us into all kinds of trouble. And it's, our pride can't be in our possessions. See, God has a way of when we take pride in our possessions of bringing those possessions down. You get a brand new car, you're going to get scratched in the parking lot at Best Buy. That's what's going to happen. We got a brand new couch uh, a couple years ago. I was so happy with my brand new couch. Trying to keep the couch clean. Kids, don't touch the couch. I'll kill you. You know, don't use the couch. You can't sit on it. Even though it's designed to be sat on, you're not allowed. All right? And then my two-year-old son walking around with acrylic paint. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Paint flies all over the couch. The couch is now done. It's a lesson in humility. Don't take pride in your possessions. That's what happens. And that's what, what he was doing was taking, this is not what I built. This is what I have. Look what I've accomplished. And like I said, this isn't an exhaustive list, but we can see that here, that he, he takes pride in his power. He's taken Pride in his possessions and in his position. Look, look back at our text. 
verse 30, the last part of it, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty, my kingdom, my reputation, my position. He wanted, it, he wanted that all, that's what he was boasting in, in his position. I mean, you might find that you're the starting quarterback or the best singer or instrumentalist or the best looking uh, speaker or might be the strongest or the most beautiful or you might have the most longest and best beard. Whatever it is, it might be anything. You can take pride in anything. We can all take pride in it, but if we're not taking our, our, our finding our identity in Christ and who we are in Christ, then all those other things can be taken away from us. You know, they were talking about the MMA fighter uh, Ronda Rousey when she lost to Katie Holmes. Uh, I think it was Katie, is it Katie? Not Katie Holmes. What's her name? Holmes. She lost to a, a, another girl, woman, and, and she, she said she went into the spiral depression. She goes, if I'm not the champion, who am I? Who am I? See, when your identity is in Christ, it's not about in your achievements and how people look at you. It's about who you are in Jesus and what he has done for you. Your identity is in him, not in your athletic ability, because your athletic ability is going to fade. Not in your, your intelligence. I mean, you, God could you give you Alzheimer's or dementia or lose, become incapacitated. God could take all that away in a moment. It has to be in him and in him alone. That's what we need to find our identity. It's not in our power, our possessions, or our position. Now, we've explored the dimensions where pride is found. Let's look at the dangers that pride brings. The dangers that pride brings. I'm going to go through these rather quickly. First of all, look at verse 32. This is God's judgment upon him. And you shall be driven from among men. Now, we may not be driven as he was. You may not become a beast and lose reason. You're reasoning as a, as a person, as a human being. But there is a concept and a principle here that I think we can uh, draw unto ourselves. That we can see that our pride will then alienate us from other people. It drives us away from other people. Because no one wants to be around the person who's in love with himself and talks about himself all the time. Nobody does. Pride alienates us. When we sit around to ourselves going, people don't understand how good I am or how talented I am or how valuable I am, it alienates us from other people. Not only that, it incapacitates us. Look at verse 32. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not ruling and reigning as a king. He's lost his mind. It's incapacitated him. He lost his ability to reason as a man and was forced to reason like a beast. See, God has a way of giving us over to our sin. Israel grew proud, and God split the nation into two. And each one grew proud of their abilities and didn't think they needed God as a nation, so they turned away from him to idols. Now, the danger of turning to an idol, and I'm not just talking about the object, uh, a statue. I'm talking about things that anything that, uh, again, is a good thing that becomes a God thing, and then it becomes a bad thing. Anything that we lift higher than God, an ideal, a pursuit, a person becomes an idol. And when we do that, we cut ourselves off from reason. Uh, the scripture says that when, uh, when you worship an idol, you become like that idol. You become deaf and mute. And when people begin to worship themselves, as our culture is doing over and over again, we lose our capacity, capacity to reason well. Now, for example, in the U.S., atheism is on the rise. It doesn't take an expert to see that. And in many academic circles, there's no longer simply a promotion of science. There's also a push against faith altogether. In fact, many well-known atheists have sought to eliminate the Christian faith or now have even stopped talking about science and, and are uh, 
starting a focus to really bring down faith altogether. One atheist dismissed any idea of a creator God who fashioned the heavens and the earth in six literal days. But when asked how life did originate, he responded that life began on the back of crystals. Another theorizes, another expert, atheist scientist, says that life began by electric sparks from a lightning storm, and still another declares that life was brought to earth by aliens. And all of that seems more acceptable than that. I mean, even in our culture today, our culture right now is at war with understanding what a boy and a girl is. And in Charlotte, North Carolina, the elementary schools just this past week declared that they will no longer use the terms boy and girl, and they're bringing in a gender unicorn. You can't even make this up. A gender unicorn to teach children that identity about being a boy or a girl is a choice one makes. See, when you cut yourself off from revelation, then you are, you are susceptible to anything else because nature abhors a vacuum. And if you take God out of it and put yourself in the middle of it, then, then there's nothing to block you in. Your mind's going to go in all different kinds of places. And that's one of the reasons we're in the moral confusion that we're in right now is because people have become their own gods, and their own reasonings, and they want their own pleasure. We want our own pursuits and everything else, and we've put ourselves. we become proud. In other words, we want to be like God. That's one of the things that's going on right now with both abortion and with homosexuality that's going on is that both of them at their root are the desire to turn, uh, cut yourself off from be God and be God yourself. That's at the root of it all, really. It's not about all the little intricacies. It's about being what you want to do without any consequence whatsoever. You want to be the Lord. You decide who lives and dies. You decide who you want to sleep with and do whatever I want feels good to do it. I don't need God. It's a cut off from God. And that's what we have done and we are doing more and more as a culture. And we are trying to be like God, be gods ourselves. And that's exactly the sin of Satan He had the I wills. I want to be like God. I'm going to be God. I will. I will. I will ascend. I will ascend. But notice that's the difference between Jesus. Satan wanted to ascend and Jesus descended. He came down to show us, not to to put to death our pride, to show us what true humility is by taking the form of a servant and going to die our death on the cross for a criminal, which is us, to take the wrath of God upon himself. It's a phenomenal thing. We're to want his mind. So it will incapacitate us. It will also humiliate us. Humiliate us. Nebuchadnezzar is acting like a beast, naked and living outside. Pride has a tendency to do that. I mean, you think about Lightning McQueen. Back to that story of him. He's cruising along, doing great. Tires blow. He's an idiot. He humiliates us. When we're in love with ourselves, we're, we'll eventually ready to fall. Pride can be in businesses, can be in nations, it can be in families. I saw one Christian family that really kind of humiliated themselves in many different ways. They had their daughter come home and brought a young man, and that Christian man loved God, loved her. They wanted to get married because they didn't like him, though. They just didn't click with him. So they said, no, we're not for this marriage. You're not allowed to marry him. She went off and married him anyway, much to the frustration of her family. And the family, though, said, you know what? You've done that. We're never going to speak to you again. And so they don't talk to the daughter. It's like she's dead. They now have children. There's a longing within them, but their pride is keeping them. It's humiliating. Who are they hurting? I mean, not only have they capacitated themselves, but they're humiliating themselves. They're showing that their pride has gotten in the way. It's humiliating. 
The same it did with Nebuchadnezzar. It humiliated him, and it will humiliate us. And it will also decimate our future. See, when you continue on in your pride, you're inviting God's judgment on your life, and you're forfeiting any future that you might have. Nebuchadnezzar was eventually restored to his position after he was humiliated, but that is only because God gave him a heart of repentance. For others, that doesn't always happen. Consider some of the examples in Scripture. King Uzziah, he was the leader in Judah, great leader. And how did Uzziah, what did he want to do? He said, I'm going to go into the temple and I'm going to offer sacrifices. That's only for priests to do, but I'm the king. I get to do what I want. And as the priests are pleading with him, you can't do this. You're not supposed to do this. And he's pleading and he's pleading and he's, I mean, he doesn't care. He's going to do what he wants. They're pleading with him, excuse me. And he says, I'm going to do whatever I want. And then leprosy breaks out all over him. And then he's removed from not only the temple, but he's put in a, in a room in a, in, a, in a building far away from everyone else. He decimated his future. Or even King Hezekiah became proud after he had been healed miraculously, and he's showing all the Babylonians the riches of his treasures and his accomplishments, and look all I've done. And then God says, who was that that came? And he said, that was the Babylonians. And because you were proud, this nation will come and conquer you. You didn't give glory to God. Or even King Herod. King Herod, he'd done so much for his kingdom, and he had built all these different projects, and he gets up and speaks to the people, and they say, this is the voice of a God and not a man. And as he gets ready to take the applause, God strikes him down because he didn't give credit to God, and it says that worms ate him. See, our pride always leads to a fall. Now, here's a a test for you to give yourself to see if you are proud. Taking this from Adrian Rogers, who was a pastor uh, now with Jesus, and he says, are you irritated when you're corrected for a mistake? Do you find yourself accepting praise for things over which you have no control? Do you tend to forget who blessed you with talents and abilities? When you make a mistake, are you quick with an alibi? Is everything someone else's fault? When there is a personal conflict, are you quick to tell yourself you can get along without that person? Are you prone to think that you can go it alone? Is it difficult for you to take advice? Are you extremely reluctant to seek it? Do you have an ungrateful spirit toward what God has given you and a bitterness about what you think you deserve? Is your life marked by a sense of competition? Do you measure success by victories over other people? Do you see in yourself an independence from God and a sense of self-sufficiency? It's a recipe for disaster. How then should we deal with our pride? We can see from our text that there are some directions we need to take. Maybe you've been proud and you need to change before God will bring you down. We all need to do it. We all have pride within ourselves. It's a lesson that as I've been studying this, I've become more, more aware of the pride of my own life. But let's look at our text in verse 34, and I'm going to go through these rather quickly for the sake of time. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. First of all, it requires us to honor God as God. When we put God back on the throne, the throne of our hearts, when we, we allow him to be the Lord that he already is, there becomes a change in each one of us that we become aware of our own limitations. We need to honor God as God. Secondly, we need to humble ourselves. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble as we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. We have to humble ourselves and realize that Jesus is the supreme example, that he humbled himself 
by making himself obedient to the rulers and authorities of this world. He humbled himself to the point of death on the cross for us. So too are we to humble ourselves with our spouses, our children, employers, employees, classmates, and the list goes on and on. Satan wanted to ascend, but Jesus descended. It's not going as high as our dreams, but going as low in our service. We're also to help other people. Now notice if you look back in our text in verse 27, Daniel actually gives Nebuchadnezzar some steps to take to avoid this coming judgment. He says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. I want to focus on that part. Showing mercy to the oppressed. To help those who are being oppressed. To show mercy to them. To help those who are hurting. To help other people. That's what we're to do. It's hard to be proud when you're helping other people. When you're helping other people, when you're giving yourself sacrificially to them, it's hard to be really proud in ourselves. It can happen. You can even be proud in your sacrifice, but it's, it's something that's less likely to happen when we're helping others. Fourthly, we also need to live a holy life. Look at verse 27. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, living a righteous life. When we put God first, when we're living for Him, the t- temptation to pride is much less. When we think about and meditate on Him and how good He is, we realize our dependence is upon Him. That's why we must practice the discipline of thankfulness because that helps us realize how much of who we are and what we have and do comes from Him. And lastly, we're to put our hope in God and in Him alone. Our hope is not in ourselves. I hear people all the time, how did you achieve your dreams? I believed in myself. I believed in myself. I'm so sick of hearing that. And and let me say this, it's not about believing in yourself. It's about believing in God and what He has done. And not only that, I've seen it trumped in every, I mean, trumpeted in every place. I mean, even our president said, we're the ones that we're, we're looking for, we've been waiting for. We're the ones we've been waiting for. And while I, I applaud for the, the, what he's gone through and how an African-American could ascend to the presidency and what he's gone through in that regard, I applaud him. But in that regard, I disagree. We are not the ones we've been waiting for. We cannot save ourselves. Only God and God alone can do that. We have to put our hope in him alone. Our hope needs to be in God, not in ourselves, not in our own abilities, and not in our own accomplishments. It's in Him and in Him alone. Lightning McQueen learned that it took a team around him, and he won the race at the end because of their help. We can't do anything without God and what He has done for us. So let's quit holding on to our pride, humble ourselves, and receive all that God has for us. He's waiting for us to submit, and when we do, He will exalt us and give us a blessed future. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we come before you grateful that you gave of yourself to us. Lord, as we think the price that the Son of God paid to provide us with redemption, that he would humble himself, that he would even go so far as to die a criminal's death, to to die our death on the cross, to be naked and exposed, humiliated in many ways before the whole world. And yet it is exactly that means through which you have provided us with salvation. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know yet who you are, I pray that they might repent of their sins and they they might place their faith totally in you and what you have done for them on the cross. To know that you have given your son to die for them and rose again for their justification. And the scripture is clear that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And Lord, if there's someone here today who is turned their back on you and has been in love with their own abilities and they've been proud. 
Lord, I pray that they might humble themselves before you humble them. That they might receive and turn back to you and receive your forgiveness. That they might repent and turn back to you and experience the fullness of joy of being restored unto you. And Lord, forgive us when we take pride in our own accomplishments and our own abilities. Uh, help us to be humble, to have an accurate assessment of ourselves, knowing that we are completely dependent upon you and that everything that we have is from your hand. So Lord, glorify yourselves in our midst. Help us to walk closer with you and make your name known and famous in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.